And I definitely know that I was using exercise as a way to justify eating more food. So it wasn't just about fueling to perform. There was the opposite too. I was definitely training to allow myself to eat. And I didn't let myself recognize that until you know things had gotten too bad where I, I wasn't taking good care of myself until I became that athlete who was very fit but very unhealthy. That was Tani Gibson, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Welcome to episode 79 of the YTP. I'm your host, Jess, and this is the place where every week we share the stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. It is our intention to create more connection in this world through this podcast so that we can see that we are not alone in our struggles or our triumphs, our good days or our bad days, our good races or our bad races. And if there's anything I've learned from being a holistic health practitioner since 2006, it is that our struggles, although varying on paper, are exact in their essence. We live within the human condition, but it is not a sentence. It is our opportunity. I believe, and it has been my experience, that there is not anything that we can't heal from, body, mind, and spirit. Our guest today shares candidly, as always, her story of inner struggle, the ultimate demise of her performance and health, and then her climb back up to the top of her game in life. Like our guest last week, professional cyclist Jess Sarah, it seems that within Tani's darkness, there was a light that guided her and gave her the clarity and strength to find another way. We're so happy to know both of these ladies and share them with this amazing tribe. YT is a global community welcoming in listeners from Australia, Canada, United Kingdom, France, Belgium, Finland, South Africa, and more. I can't believe it. There's too many to list, but we thank you all equally for tuning into the show each week and supporting our mission to create a better world. Ross, I want to give Ross a shout out. He's our new supporter on Patreon. Thanks, dude. Thank you so much. We've known Ross for many years and uh, we think he's lingering in SoCal. So dude, if you're around and you're listening, come for a visit. All right. The M21 challenge starts November 27th. If you haven't signed up, do it today. This is 21 days of supported mindful living and daily meditation led by myself and Golden Duffy. If you haven't listened to our podcast with her, check it out. For $1 a day, you'll be part of an epic group of athletes and non-athletes alike who are ready to take their living to the next level. Golden's background in the law of attraction and quantum physics combined with my studies of yogic philosophy make for powerful teachings, techniques, and tools that we will deliver in a digestible manner. We'll be sharing the most potent life management skills out there, so if that interests you, then get your butt in the group. The registrations are rolling in every day, men and women, so many athletes already taking advantage of this, knowing that it will allow them to move into their highest level of performance in sport and life. Also, our high vibe retreat offerings are on our website. We're taking a limited number of immersions this winter for people who crave the awake and ready life. It's for the folks that can feel that there is a better way to do this thing on earth. Tani Gibson, our guest today, knows this calling all too well, having found her rock bottom a few times already in life. And with that came her strength to climb out. 
Tony grew up in Southern California with a loving and very active family, surfing, mountain biking, anything outdoors was for them. She was born into athleticism. She was the girl on her board before school and up for anything. She started playing volleyball in high school. And although she was a strong, reliable player in practice, she struggled deeply with her mental game when it came to team competition. A self-proclaimed perfectionist, as most of us athletes are, she was hard on herself, negative self-talk and feelings of unworthiness were common. On the outside, she was a happy, active, healthy girl, but her inside life was already showing signs of unhealth. She reveals to us today all the details of her inner battles, her joys, and the ultimate crash of her performance and health, which led to a new focus in life, which I know has led her to living out her purpose and becoming one of the best coaches in endurance sports. Tani is the host of Endurance Planet podcast, where she dives into triathlon, running, ultra, and athlete wellness with guests and regular co-hosts like YTP66 guest Lucho and their very popular Ask the Coaches show. We've been fans of Tani and EP for many years, and we've had a few meetups over the last few years, but today we dig in and she shares not only her story, but her wisdom, her wisdom on coaching, nutrition, healing, and the importance of finding our own paths to health. She is a leader in the industry and we're pumped to call her a bud. So without further ado, I give you our exchange with speaker, writer, holistic endurance coach, podcast host, and mama to be, Tawny Gibson. So how are you, how are you doing up here? Like wait, cause you've been near the ocean for so long. How are you doing? How far are you from the ocean now? We're about five miles, I think. Oh. So it's, it's definitely a change and it's been easier than I thought it would be because I think of the reason we're doing it. You know, it's not, we're saving money. Like we're saving a lot more money than it is to live by the beach. And we have the extra room that I get to do my <laughs> nesting in right now, <laughs> which is like, I couldn't nest in that other house because it, it just wasn't the right layout for like putting a little baby space in it mm-hmm. and now I have like the other room over there it's just like that's me a little geeking out and doing my yeah you're going full on you're yeah. like on a, the end of a cul-de-sac yeah I know we're only gonna live <laughs> here for a year though because after so we ordered a sprinter van a Mercedes sprinter van we're converting it into like a tiny home essentially and so when our lease is up here at the end of August next year we're out we're gonna go travel for a year with the baby and the dog and people think we're crazy but you guys would understand think like <laughs> Yeah, well, like normal people. Amazing. Normal amazing. people think we're crazy, <laughs> right? Um, of course they do. I don't want to live on a cul-de-sac forever, right now. You know, especially while our kid is young, like before she has to go to school and stuff. Like, let's do as much as we can right now. John and I can work from the road, like easy. Oh my god, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Plus, like, I think next after this, we do want to buy something. And you guys probably understand now too. Like, the housing market in Southern mm-hmm. California sucks balls to buy right now, so. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it. But it's going to give you, it's just going to give you, it, it gives you space when you don't, when you're not like tied down with all this stuff, yeah. you get, you get this expansion. I mean, I can tell you that who you are really shows up in like bright lights, like, yeah. you know, cause you go on, you go in that sprinter van with you. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you can kind of simplify your life as much as possible, but like you're still going in. So whatever yeah. it is that you're working on with yourself or like you guys as a couple, um, all that stuff will be like really bright and shining and, yeah. and beautiful and all of that. And you'll just see, you'll just get this like new dynamic and you just become so close. And it's like, it, there's nothing about it that's crazy. I think everybody should do it. Yeah. I so. mean, we've got friends who um, 
they live on a boat most of the time and she just homeschools the kids and they're an amazing family. That would probably be oh, our yeah. second choice because we, yeah, we both got into sailing this year Yeah, and John got like legitimate sailing certifications and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So they live all over the, they've yeah. been all over the world with these kids and they're amazing. How old is like Oliver and Sophie? It's like 12 and I think Sophie's 17. Like super engaging, yeah. better conversation than you would have with most adults. I can imagine, <laughs> you know, it's like the street, not like street smarts, like in the ghetto, but you know, street smarts, like learning cultures and all that, that stuff that you don't get when you're too much in a bubble. Well, I think that we, we read about it and we learn about it from books and stuff when we're in school, but what's happening is these kids are experiencing it yeah. and they're immersing ourselves. And what do we love about travel? Like as adults, we love to go and immerse ourselves in new cultures mm-hmm. and that's how they're learning and growing up. They're not reading about it. They're actually there taking part in mm-hmm. those traditions and that food and, um, and that lifestyle and, and the architecture and everything. And so, yeah, they homeschool and they live on this boat and they all have jobs, so you know, cool. like on the boat and everything. And it's really cool cool, cohesive family, some of the coolest people. And they were the people when we were like, we're getting rid of everything. We're like moving into our car. They were like, amazing. Yeah. You know, they were like, oh, that sounds so awesome. You know, even more awesome than what we're doing. So those are the people you want to surround yourself yeah. with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we've been watching like, especially John as far as like, cause he's going to do the build, the interior like himself. Um, so we've just been geeking out on YouTube videos and Instagram accounts of people because van life is seriously becoming like a pretty big thing right now. Totally. So there's a lot of resources out there that we've kind of brainstormed and laid out what we want to do in the van and, you know. Oh my God. That sounds amazing. Yeah. We're really excited. (laughs) I love it. Because last time we saw you, last time we met up, we were just saying before we turned the mics on that it was probably a little less than, a little more than a year ago. A little more than, or a little less than, I don't know, I can't do math. But anyway, it was less before we had a home because we were on our way up the coast right. to kind of you check some things out. Totally. You you weren't decided yet on San Diego. No. And you had a few more, like a month or so before then you guys made it back down, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. we got up to San Francisco and then it was like, it was too cold. And then Xterra, where BJ ended up doing some part-time work, they like called them when we were in San Francisco and they are like, can you come in, come in on Monday? We, you know, we want to talk to you. And we were like... Oh, income would be nice. So we like threw it back down and then we were like, okay, we'll just live here. And it all worked out perfectly. But um, yeah, so it's so good to reconnect with you. And we've been wanting to have you on the show for a while. Oh, we've been listening to I mean, I remember listening to you on those 26 degree mornings, like on my runs Aww. before I knew you personally. And, um, and BJ, you're the one that got me Yeah, I started listening her. to Lucho back when I think we were in Colorado. I didn't know Lucho coached you. Yeah. yeah. That was like the story. I don't know if you heard the podcast when we met each other on the plane. In 2008? 2008. 2008. I sat next to him on the plane back from Iron Man, his just, last Iron Man. Oh my gosh. Sat just next by to chance. Him and Joe. When, yeah, ben just was by like, chance. when Ben was an infant. Wow. And he, we talked about the race and he said, he asked what my marathon time was. And, he, and I told him, he goes, why would you want to be out there that long? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> totally no matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> Love that about I like, him. I don't. And so then we got the conversation started. But um, yeah, I just remember the podcast has been, has always been amazing. Just so much, so much information. Like, and it's so genuinely um, directed to people's questions who, who they're not just like pie in the sky. It's like real questions. Yeah, like they people's are, huh? real struggles. And you answer them, you answer a matter of fact too. There's no like candy coating in it. It's yeah. like, 
I don't know what you're trying to say. It depends. <laughs> Here's my answer. <laughs> Here's what I think. Yeah. And you just, and it's just connected. And I think it's connected with so many more people over the years. So you guys, how long has you been doing it? I've been doing it since January, 2011. So okay. what is that? It'll be seven years in wow. um, January. Yeah. You were like one of the female pioneers yeah. as a podcast host. I I'm always really loved lucky. that because I was like, Tani can do it. I can do it. I'm lucky I got in when I did for sure. Like, yeah. Because I needed that. I don't think if I had started like later, I, I had that learning curve where it took me a year or so to f- find my voice and confidence, I think, with it. And if I had tried that now with all the podcasts that are available, I probably would have. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know? That. I don't know. But yeah, finding your voice. Yeah. And I believe that I found my voice before I turned these mics on and I spent years trying to, to find my voice. And of course with that came so much, but, and that kind of leads into really what I want to get to the essence of with our conversation is that anybody who's listened to Endurance Planet knows all of the different things that all the stages of life that you have shared with everyone. Because I know when I started listening back, probably very close to when you started, you were, you know, full on athlete, you know, on the podium, age grouper, pretty elite and doing modeling. And I think you were a Betty girl. Were you a Betty girl? Yeah, definitely. One of All the right. Originals. But let's back. I want to back it up even more. Okay. Like we're, cause, cause it seems like you have an amazing family. Like you grew up in a, a yeah. beautiful place around here. And, um, yeah. So tell us about that. So we, I am actually local to where we are right now. I just about 10 miles up the freeway or whatever to where my parents still live in the same house. And it was just like super active upbringing. My dad and mom, they're like, um, Moondoggy and Gidget when it comes to surfing. They're so cute. And my mom actually got into surfing probably around the same time I did. But, you know, it's just like that Southern California culture. You just grow up by the beach. And then for us, too, we are a little bit more inland. So we also had Saddleback Mountain and all that, like, kind of cool stuff to go out and play and adventure on. So if it wasn't surfing, it was mountain biking or hiking in the trails. And in the winter, it was always snowboarding, skiing kind of stuff. And so it was just nonstop activity. Like I wasn't a, like into a lot of organized sports, but I was an athlete from the get-go. And in high school, then I got into volleyball. Um, and that was pretty much my only brush with team sports. And it was cool, but it was I could tell it wasn't long-term going to be something that I wanted to stick with. Um, but, you know, my parents just had a really good outlook on saying, try all the sports, try all the foods, try all the things. We're not going to force you to do one thing. Let's just give it a shot and see, you know, kind of what you fall into and what you like. And they just were always my biggest supporters and made me just believe like whatever I wanted to put my mind to, I could. And I think that mentality definitely benefited me. Like later on when I was graduating with a degree in journalism and decided to drop all that and go a completely different direction at like in my early twenties or whenever that was, and not being afraid to pull that trigger. Because I think a lot of people do kind of get, like, that you, we get stuck in our, like, okay, well, this is the path we're on, even though I kind of feel like going on that path, but I have to stay on this path because I'm so deep into it already. And for me, it was kind of a no-brainer. You know, as soon as I fell in love with triathlon later, it was just kind of like, I'm going to veer off on that path and I'll figure out how to make it work. So. And this is the exact the exact skill that's allowing you to move into a sprinter van with an infant (laughs) and a dog. I know being a dad. Well, actually I think my biggest fear at the sprinter van is going to be the shower situation. (laughs) Like, cause John's like, obviously we were just talking about it. He doesn't care about showers. I care about showers a little bit more. So it's been like, do we want the shower inside the van and taking up that space or do we want it in the back? 
And if it's in the back, out of the back doors, you know, if we're going to be traveling in colder months and stuff, what's that going to be like? And <laughs> so, you know, but that's literally like my biggest fear. So if that's my biggest fear, I think we're going to be okay. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> you got to like the, the fear is going to be there. So it's like it knows that you're untouchable as far as tagging it on to something big. So it's like, all right, let's. Let's, this energy is still here, so let's just put it to the shower, yeah. right? Like, I know, like, there's just the tiny little detail. So, I mean, I think that that's, I grew up in a very, very similar type of of guidance of, like, mm-hmm. go see the world, go do what you want to do, like, go, I mean, for me, it it, it was, it was like, I, I pushed the boundaries and the envelopes, and I think there, there are parts of our stories that are very much similar, and we've talked about it, I think, briefly about things. But that's just such a gift. Yeah. But, you know, also I think in my story too, and I don't think it's my parents necessarily. Who knows what if it's a nature versus nurture thing. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about it and I have like deeper thoughts on it. But there's a, there's, I can't say it's a dark side, but there's the negatives too. Because I was such a perfectionist, whether it was sport, body, all that, you know, then it also led me down some darker paths where I developed an eating disorder you know, I did not like, and when I was in volleyball, even back in high school, before I had an eating disorder, like my, I was, I did not have a good mental game. I was phenomenal in practice. I kicked ass in practice, but as soon as we got on the court for like a game where everybody was in the grandstands watching, I just sucked. Like I crumbled and it's just, it was all mental, obviously. So I had to spend a lot of time working on that. And when, then when I did go to San Diego state too, it was, you know, it was a great thing that I wanted nothing more to just be in that environment. But at the same time, like there was that perfectionist tendency in me. I think there's a little bit of homesickness in me. There's a lot of variables. There's also the culture of San Diego state and what it was like. And before you know, it, I had an eating disorder and I was pretty deep into it pretty quickly. So because that's, you can control that. Like exactly. that's, that's like your pursuit of control. Exactly. So going back to like the volleyball and you were saying like you, you could see that like your mental game sucked when it came to like the actual race day or competition yeah. or, you know, match day. Um, were you working, did you, were you working on it then? And if so, how? Like, I don't think I had the right, I don't think my parents probably knew enough about that, like sports psychology. Like they did their best obviously, but they weren't experts in that field per se. And my coaches were great, but they weren't that great, I guess, to like explore that side of things more deeply because it was easier to just put someone else in the game if I was, you know, not performing rather than spend time cultivating whatever like was lacking in my game. So, yeah, it was something that I was aware of, but I think I was too embarrassed to stand up to it and try to recognize it at that point as oh, it's a mental weakness issue. Like, I didn't want to admit that, admit that kind of defeat, I guess. So well, I decided to just move on. <laughs> yeah. What was your, like, your self-talk like? Like, when, when you would get pulled out of a game and, like, did you, do you remember, like, the self-talk of, like, after the game or when you were, you know, after the game at home and you're in your bedroom by yourself? I mean, I just kind of want to dig in a little bit. Like, do you remember, like, because there's, there's, I think that, like, eating disorder, like anything, like, but like an eating disorder, like there's, so, there's so much that, um, leads up to that. Yeah. And so piecing it. I don't know specifically, but if I were to knowing me, well, I think it would be along the lines of like, Oh, I'm just not good enough. You know, there's always going to be a girl that's better. Who's also probably also going to be prettier and look better doing it than I would as well, you know? And 
just allowing myself that defeat and without trying to find ways to step up, which is weird because like you, you know, go back to all the mountain biking and surfing and all that kind of stuff. I, that's where my confidence was like the solo sports, which is probably why I inevitably got into the sport of triathlon. That was all in my, you know, I could do my own thing. The team sports, I just, I didn't have the right skill set. I think to find my confidence in that, like among those other girls. And it was like a clicky sport and, you know, and so I would just let my get myself down and not be able to talk myself back out of that, which I recognize that later on. And I think what a lot of the stuff I've chosen to do in my life is all about going outside my comfort zone and not allowing that same behavior that I did in the volleyball days to continue on into my professional days, you know, in sports that I've done since. Yeah. I mean, that sight, being able to see it, that's, that's, that's everything. Yeah. Like without that, you there's no way you can move forward. So where does triathlon come in? Um, after so there, so it was the summer of two or 2004 when I had moved home to recover from my eating disorder, and so it was like a really intense yet short-lived bout of anorexia. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe we should back it up then. Yeah, because that seemed to happen real fast. Because I I do think that the reason I always bring up the eating disorder is because it very much played into triathlon in different ways, positive ways and negative ways. So go back to that. Like, when did that begin? What did that look like? It was basically, like, (laughs) the start of it was, and I've actually heard, heard since from doctors, colleagues, friends, that this is a relatively common thing, so people watch out for this. I had my tonsils taken out over winter break, and they, I had, I couldn't really eat. And then they, um, the wound burst. So I had to get it recauterized. So I had like a double long recovery and I went from gaining the freshman 15 and some, like I started gaining weight in my senior in high school after I finished volleyball and then gaining even more weight once I got to college. And I went from like 160 pounds to like, I mean, my lowest was like around a hundred in a matter of months. Um, but once I started losing a little bit of weight from that tonsillectomy, it triggered something in my brain that had never been there before, like about that control and like, oh, if I don't eat, I actually start like liking the way I look better, whatever that it was. And so it just spiraled down and I, I'm actually working on a book right now of my story. And I've been exploring a lot of that time that I spent at San Diego state. And I was re I'm revisiting memories of the psychology of what I went through and what the torment I put myself through and how I became so disengaged and secretive and just all the behaviors you would expect from a woman with an eating disorder, you know, and everything my whole life became about an obsession with food. And, you know, whereas once we'd all go out to the dining halls together to eat and it'd be no big deal or whatever, I would just completely shy away from all that stuff and figure out excuses to avoid any social situations that involved food you know, I worked at the school newspaper and we always did editing around dinner time. And I always found a way to like leave and go eat my special food, you know, because I didn't want people to like judge me or see what I was eating. And I look, dear God, I did not want to, you know, eat the pizza and stuff that was being served to everybody in the newspaper. Right. So there was just a lot going on there. And then what happened was we went home and my parents, I think, had been catching on. But then I went home. It was I think it was after spring break or maybe it was around finals or something and I had withered away into like a shadow of my former self basically and they took one look at me and knew something was wrong and stepped right in and said all right let's talk about this let's figure out what's going on and we decided it'd be best for me to just move home for the summer because I think a lot of the stress was just being out there on my own for the first time and 
that summer is so important because I didn't want to have an eating disorder at that point. Like I did not like where this was going. I wanted to just have freedom and live my teenage or early 20s life. And I remember a day specifically where I had been told by a psychiatrist that I was depressed and I needed to go on medication. And I got the bottle pills and I started going on that stuff and I was not happy with it because I'm like, I'm not depressed. I know I'm not depressed. I know this is something else. I know this is something I can get through on my own. I don't need drugs or medication to like get me through. And even though they say like, don't go cold turkey on this stuff, I'm like, screw it. And I like threw the bottle away and I was like done with that. And I was like, that was a day that like everything turned around. And I was like, I'm going to beat this. I'm going to get back to school by fall and I'm going to be normal. And I did ish (laughs) because like I was normal enough to Uh, Yeah, I was normal enough to function. I saw, you know, I saw what I needed to not continue to lower my weight and be so manipulated with food and be healthy. But the behaviors of the eating disorder continue to stick with me for another decade, a decade. It's it's like the, it's like the eating disorder is, it's like the symptom. It's the alcohol Mm -hmm. of the alcoholic. It's, it's what's underneath that that's driving you to that behavior. It's, It's what, what is that pattern within within. And I just have a question for you. Like when you were like really in it and you're like eating your secret food and you're, you know, do, do, like avoiding the dining hall and all that stuff. Are you watching the people around you, especially the other girls around you? And are you, are you, are you wondering how they're doing it and, and totally being happy and eating and, and looking good? Or did you look at them and say, Oh, well, they're fat. No, I didn't look at anyone and think they're fat. You know, it's it's that skewed mind where you're not seeing reality. Like you have like this perception. It's like that, this study of other yeah. people of like, God, how are they doing it? I felt like everyone else looked perfect and was perfect except for me. And then I think worse though was how I felt everybody was looking at me and thinking they may have had no idea. Like it's funny because I've since talked to some of my co- or, um, co-workers that I had down at the Daily Aztec at San Diego State and they're like, I had no idea you had an eating disorder. And I was like, really? It, I, I thought it was so obvious like thinking back to it. So, uh, But in that moment, all I felt was fear that how everybody was looking at me and judging me, whether it's how I looked or like the snacks I had or whatever it may be. So, and it was just, you know, it was one of those environments, San Diego State, where every, and at that time, everybody was like a mini Britney Spears and I totally wasn't and I didn't want to be, but it was the culture. And if you wanted attention, you kind of had to have that skinny, hot body, blonde hair, which I never had, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was just trying to fit in. And I think it was also a way to rebel against what I was scared of in my life. So finding the control to compensate So when I got out of the eating disorder, though, then I started getting, I was working out during my eating disorder, but not to this extent that I think you hear some stories. Mm -hmm. Um, And then afterward, I, after I was making the recovery, I wanted to get strong again. There was also a day where I went surfing with my dad in the middle of summer, and I was so skinny that I was wearing my full wetsuit, and and it was beautifully sunny like today, and I was still shivering like I could only stay in the water for like 15 minutes. And that was like one of the lowest lows of my life, thinking that I didn't even have a body that could handle surfing on a summer's day when that's all I used to do. I mean, I used to be the girl that would go surfing before school in like 50 degree weather and, 
you know, 50 degree water and not even blink an eye about it. And now here I am on this beautiful day and I can't even handle the water for 15 minutes. Like it, it sounds like that was a moment that you realized that you had lost yourself. Totally. And it was so depressing. My dad had to help me take off my wetsuit because I was so cold and so weak. I didn't even have the strength to take it off myself. Like how shitty is that? Sorry. Um, you can say whatever you okay. want. You know <laughs> it was just such a low moment and it's so depressing to me. And I didn't want to be that person anymore. So then I started getting like finding fitness and trying to have a different perspective on it of one of strength and building a better body. And that's why I think when a really strong shift with my relationship with food came in is because I started looking at food as fuel. And at around the same time, I had a boyfriend then and we were doing these spin classes at this gym and she was a triathlon or triathlete uh, teaching the spin classes and we got wind of what a triathlon actually was and Literally, the rest is history. As soon as she kind of told us about it and we started meeting some of these people down in San Diego, we were literally miles from Mission Bay, like the birthplace of um, triathlon. I was, my boyfriend and I, we just, we have to do one of these. This sounds like the greatest thing ever. I never swum for fitness a day of my life. You know, I could swim to save my life. I could surf, but my swimming sucked, 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 (laughs) sucked. Running and biking was pretty good. You know, my biking from mountain biking growing up was great. But our goals just became all about this triathlon thing. And I just came, became a complete nerdy dork about it before I'd even ever done a triathlon. Like I was geeking out on all the history, everything you can imagine under the sun, including nutrition actually too. And so like a new passion for nutrition started to um, grow where it wasn't about how I could find the lowest calorie things and restrict more. It's more like okay, how can I manipulate sports nutrition to actually perform and get better at what I want to do? To fuel. And that was a really, I mean, that was such a transformative and awesome thing. And it happened so organically because I wasn't purposely doing it. It just sort of just started snowballing, right? And so my graduation present to myself in 2007 was a road bike. I actually think I got it in 2006, like at the very end. Graduated in 2007, did my first triathlon at Solana Beach in 2007, <laughs> July 2007. And it was what, still to this day one of the most memorable, amazing days of my life. Like that triathlon was just, it was literally life-changing. Um, and I wanted to do nothing more than to be involved in endurance sports for the rest of my life. Like it was a done deal at that point. And thankfully that's where my life has led me. But, and so <laughs> after that, you know, I think that same perfectionist kind of go-getter, lacking balance approach (laughs) led me into just doing, wanting to do all the triathlons, you know, and I just went really, really hard for... You can go all in. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just went all in. It's already a time suck as it is, but if you're like a, a, like... Newly graduated. Yeah. And you're like, have time and you want to like really soak it up. You can spend six, eight hours a day involved in anything triathlon. I was so obsessed. I think about the time I invested in it from a training standpoint and just research standpoint back then. And I'm like, I would never have that time to do that right now. (laughs) Um, But I had that on my side because I was like freshly graduated from college. I had a job. And other than that, like I ended up breaking up with that boyfriend. So I was like single. And just kind of like figuring stuff out. And I had all the time in the world Were and all the desire. Were you working a full-time job? Yeah. So I ended up getting a job back up in Orange County. I moved back in with my parents to save some money. And I was working in San Clemente at a newspaper, which I loved. It was like, if you're going to work at a newspaper, this was the group to work for. Like we all wore rainbow sandals to work every day. And like half the <laughs> newspaper is about surfing. So it was totally <laughs> awesome. Um, and I loved that job. But that was also when I was like, 
I also don't see myself doing a Monday through Friday, like nine to five forever. Like this is great. I have great colleagues, but there's something else out there for me. And so I started researching grad schools to see how I could get into like a physiology or kinesiology program without having an undergrad, uh, my bachelor's degree Mm -hmm. in something of that field. And sure enough, Cal State Fullerton had that available. I had to take some prerequisites basically, which was no big deal at all at the local community college. Did that got enrolled and I think I got my master's in kinesiology. I think I finished that around 2010, 2011. So it was a pretty quick turnaround. You know, I graduated from San Diego State with one state, you know, like this journalism thing. And then before you know it, I'm like now in having a master's in science in a completely different field a few years later. And I think when I was at Fullerton too, we started a triathlon club there. We got other people geeked out on it. You know, that's when I started getting into half Ironmans and finding that world. And it was awesome. Like, it was just like, this is, I knew, like, I was doing the right thing 100%. Started coaching a little bit. And you guys know how it is with coaching, too. Like, you get those first couple clients, and you're, like, the most stoked person on life. And you're like, we can talk all day long if you want. <laughs> like, Wide open anything schedule. You need, call me at 2 a.m. if you need, like, before your race. Full I'll be, access. Yeah. <laughs> And I loved it. And like, when no matter how my athletes did, like, it was like, oh my gosh, I helped that person get to the finish line and they're stoked and we're all stoked and we're racing together. And it was just like the greatest thing ever. It was awesome. So um, I continued that. Obviously, I raced pretty hard up until last year. It was like my last like significant race when I did the Boston Marathon. So, but so then the like it's it wasn't like a happily ever after right after right, that because, though either because the behaviors right yeah like, this is what we were talking about how were they showing up and were you seeing them show up I think I was in denial for a long time actually I was in denial until a few years ago about probably 2013 is when I started kind of wising up to the fact that um, what I wasn't doing wasn't as genuine as I thought it was as far as like how I was treating my body because um, I had so the the Eating disorder I had, of course, started amenorrhea. So I lost my period with that after losing so much weight. And I think I was on and off birth control a little bit through that time before I really knew better and did my own research. I just was following what doctors were telling me to do. But then, of course, with triathlon, I was healthier in a lot of ways and fueling like an athlete, but I was still way too lean, like, which, you know, kind of comes with the territory of the sport. But I obviously already had that tendency to like know how to make myself like pretty stay pretty lean I had all the like quote-unquote tools in my box of how to achieve that which wasn't the healthiest thing to do and I definitely know that I was using exercise as a way to justify eating more food so it wasn't just about fueling to perform there was the opposite too I was definitely training to allow myself to eat and I didn't let myself recognize that until you know, things had gotten too bad where I, I wasn't taking good care of myself but until I became that athlete who was very fit, but very unhealthy. And it was around the time I met my now husband, John in 2011. Obviously I still had massive amenorrhea at that point. Like I hadn't had a period, like when all of a sudden done, I didn't have a period for like 10 years. I had like one or two along the way. But when I met him and we started falling in love and I started thinking differently about, hey, I could, you know, I could see myself starting a family with this guy. And But at that point, it's like, there ain't no family happening in this body, you know, like it just, I was, I had the shape of a 14 year old boy at that point, no hips, no hormones, you know, none of that stuff going on. 
But I wasn't ready to change things yet because I was still really peaking in my racing and doing really well. And 2011 was when I did my first Ironman and enjoyed that, but I liked 70.3 more. And then in 2013 was when I just started realizing, like, I am not happy with having this hormonal dysfunction. And it's starting to come up in other ways. My gut health was starting to suffer. You know, the whole HPA axis dysfunction, gut health, you name it. I just felt like I was having every symptom under the sun. And then ultimately performance started tanking. That year I um, signed up for another Ironman and 70.3 World Championships in September. And those races ended up being disastrous. You know, the 70.3 World Championships, I just sucked at. I just did not have any of my typical mojo. Coming off, you know, earlier that year, I had PR'd in the 70.3 distance and been doing great. So all of a sudden, it just went from like that peak to just complete tanking. And I've heard, I think Phil Maffetone and some others talk about that, where it's that false level of like your peaking fitness, and then just watch out. Like if you know, this is obviously not the case for everybody because a lot of people continue to get better and peak and are fine. But for those of us who are not being genuine with how we're treating our bodies, it could be a false sense of elite fitness. And then all of a sudden everything comes crashing down. And that's what happened to me. And because you're, you're, you're pushing your body so much, you're super lean, your, your cycles aren't happening. Like you can't have something as massive as that not occurring and not having affect other systems in your body. We're just one piece. We're one piece. Like our bodies don't selectively be unhealthy to just one little spot. Exactly. And so, and, and so I think like you had that peak and, and you're so young too. You're still in your twenties. Mm-hmm. Like to start to plummet in your performance is just such a red flag that totally the body is not in a good state. By that point, I was also doing Endurance Planet. And at that at that point in Endurance Planet, I was, as we were joking about before we started recording, like I was wearing all the hats. I was the audio person. I did all the scheduling. Obviously I did all the recording. I did all the social media show notes. And John was just starting to come in and kind of help me. You know, thankfully, I fell in love with a guy who has an MBA and he's an attorney. So he like swoops in like, I'm Mr. (laughs) Businessman. I will help you. I'm like, yes, score. Um, You know, so he was just starting to help me with things. But I was just frazzled because my coaching business was also going really well. As you wanted to talk about, too, I was also starting to model on the side, which is a whole nother kind of conversation of like what a mind F that was on me. Like, ugh. Um, and so I had all that other stuff going on. It wasn't like when I got out of college, when I was talking about where it was just kind of like still so innocent and, you know, all my free time was invested in just training basically. And I've just kind of getting the ball rolling on like a career. Now I was like in a lot of things. You had a lot lot. of stuff piled up. Oh God, it's crazy. On top of you. So that definitely played into it as well. The body can only handle so much. And I was just really high stress with all of it. I remember the first time I got a hold of HRV, um, heart rate variability and started monitoring that. It was pathetic. Like, <laughs> it was the most pathetic part was that they have this thing on the Sweet Beat app where it says take a deep breath. And I, I'm like, I've never taken that deep of a breath in my whole life that I'm aware of. You know, it's just like I didn't even know how to sit down and just breathe anymore. Like I was just so go, go, go. And there were still some insecurities. And I'm so I'm also this like model and podcast host, you know, dealing with my own insecurities still. And it was just like a lot you know so then you add all the training on top of it it's just like no wonder i exploded something has to give and it, yeah it's yeah. a lot of you putting out a persona mm-hmm. in the phys- in your physicality in the modeling and then through your voice through the podcast and like i'm sure there was a part of you that you could see like that holy shit there's like this facade and then 
the truth is living within yeah. that, like underneath all of that. Yeah. So it was the biggest reality ch- check slash humbling experience ever to just kind of reach what I felt like for me. And I know people have it a lot worse. So I'm not saying like, oh, poor little like triathlon girl. But that was like a rock bottom moment for me at the end of 2013. But I like just like with my eating disorder, I was like, this is not going to be the end of it. Like I am going to figure out how to turn this some- into something positive and that really started the journey into the health side of now what I not only work on myself, but with my clients and integrating the whole idea of like training athletes, but also making sure that we are staying healthy as possible. You know, I now specialize in working with women with amenorrhea because there are so many girls out there who are athletes who have almost the exact same story that I'm telling you guys right now. It's crazy. But it's still not one of those things that gets a lot of attention. It's getting more attention because there's more girls like me who are coming out and like talking about what we've been through. And then that gets other girls, their brain kind of saying like, oh my gosh, like I'm not doing things right. Like I should probably talk to someone about this. Because sometimes girls just think like, oh, I have no period. That's actually kind of convenient. Like no big deal. They don't even know. They don't even know they have it. It's not even like they're purposely doing it. It's just like they don't even know that they've gone down this path. They're not aware. So, and it's not normal to not have your period. It's not a convenient thing. It's not normal, you know? Yeah. It's not not healthy. Yeah. So It might be normal for a lot of people, but it's not healthy. Yeah. I got really into um, the more functional medicine approach because I feel at that point, I had been seeing a doctor, like... I wasn't ignorant to my problems leading up to this. I I was looking at records, like, as I started pursuing this book I'm writing, I was going to the doctor regularly saying, like, I don't have a period, like, all these things. Can you check my blood? Like, I was into it back then of even saying, I want to know my vitamin D, my iron, and all this. And I remember doctors just saying, well, we don't need to test your iron if we don't think anything's wrong. Even though, I mean, I was, like, textbook for what could be wrong as far as, you know, anemia was Mm -hmm. concerned. And... Also, just the idea that, oh, okay, well, you're not getting your period. Well, you probably should stop training and just, you know, relax more, which is not necessarily wrong advice, but the way that they kind of positioned it was like, you're telling me to stop doing my life, basically? Like, no, thank you. Well, there's no how behind it. Yeah. Because as somebody who I know... I know very well what you're talking about. Like I couldn't, I was the girl that couldn't sit down. And the whole reason why I couldn't sit down is because I really, I really needed, like I needed that, I needed like a one, two, three. How do you sit down? Yeah. And how do you just stay there without wanting to rip your skin off? Yeah. You know? And um, so it's totally. that how, you know, and I don't, I don't think they know, but, and I want to get, I want to get into, um, like how you're working with people and your coaching and all that. But I, there's a story that you told in one of your blog posts that just resonated so deeply with me. Mm-hmm. And um, it was when you were, you were, you, you were like ran the San Diego half oh or God. full, you know, the day yeah, I'm talking about. Now I do, yeah. And I feel like that was probably one of those, it sounds like it was one of those days where you were like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. So that was also in 2013. So 2013 yeah. was like a very like important year for was me. Was this before or after that world championship? Before. It was, this plummet. was in June. So I was a friend of mine who's still a dear friend. He got me a slot into the San, or yeah, San Diego half marathon just like last minute. And at that point I was fit enough, like jumping in a half marathon and getting close to a PR was like no big deal. Right. So I spent the night at their house. At that point, I was still drinking beer. So I was drinking a lot of beer with them the night before, not even thinking about it. Next morning, we drive. We park by – oh, I'm by myself, actually, because I had to then later that day be up in L.A. for a modeling um, – I can't think of the word right now – audition. mm -hmm. 
And so I park near the San Diego Zoo. And as I'm sitting there waiting to get out of my car, just kind of like doing my pre-race thing a little bit before I get out, I'm realizing like, oh shit, all the streets around me are starting to get closed. And it's not just a half marathon today, it's a full marathon. And what if I can't get out? Like, what if I'm stuck in this parking lot until after the marathon? And that basically led to an extreme panic attack. Like, I broke down. I was on the phone with my parents. Sorry, that's my dog <laughs> shaking his ears. Shakey, shake. Um, I couldn't, at that point, I felt like I was, I couldn't even actually get out. Like, I felt like I was already trapped in that parking lot or in that area. Like, so if I got out of the parking lot, I was still, there was another blockage. You guys know how it is in downtown San Diego or that area. It's... But you the know. whole thing is like such a metaphor for what's happening in totally. your life. Totally. <laughs> right. And I had no skills to calm myself down at this point. Um, so I basically just started like freaking out. and like, I need to get out of here. I don't want to do the race. Like, because if I can't make it to that modeling edition, you know, I just got signed with this like sports modeling agency up in LA a couple months prior. And I didn't want to like, quote unquote, let them down. And so I was freaking out. And long story short, I ended up getting out of the parking lot, but it was not pretty. It was a very ugly day for me. And my, I ended up meeting up with my parents back in Orange County, and they drove me up to L.A. to the audition, and I actually made it. Of course, I didn't get the gig. I didn't. I don't even think I got like barely any of the gigs that I ended up doing with this agency. And I never liked being with that part. Like I never liked the vibe of that either. That was just not me. Uh, but yeah, that was a really telling day because it just showed me like you take a step back and you're like, dude, none of this was worth breaking down and having that panic attack kind of episode like I did. Like none of it's worth it. The race isn't worth it. The modeling isn't worth it. And I just realized like I'm not I don't I'm not giving myself the chance just to kind of go with the flow with things and just. And I was so worried about what other people might think, the modeling agency in this case of if I had failed to show up. Because the kind of way they operated was like they'd tell you like the day before that you had an audition all of a sudden. So it's not like I knew this even going into the race. Like it was like a last minute thing. And yeah, it was just like a really ugly day for me. It was, you know, one of those days where, but at the same time, it was another, it was a day where you learn, hopefully that this is not the person I want to be. This isn't fun. Like, this is not how I want to live my life. I'm actually, like, at the end of the day, even though I probably sound like a head case right now, I'm actually a pretty, like, chill, like, happy person. <laughs> you know, I just, we like to talk about, like, the hard times, right? Because um, well, that forms you who you are today. Yeah. Like, there's no reason, there's no, there's, there's no better way to be the Tawny who you are now if you didn't do all these steps. And I've always been that Tawny. Like, I've always been a happy person. I've never... Like I've always, and I've always been a strong person where at the end of the day, like I can find that mind over matter and adopt like a stronger mindset. Sometimes it just takes me till I'm like kind of at my version of rock bottom before I like step up to the plate. And but I think that like that story, that day, it's, you're just, you're one in, I mean, I was one and I can't speak for BJ, but like one of those many, many people that like, you're just going, 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 going. And you don't even realize that like, it's the littlest thing. Like, oh, of course this is going to be closed for the marathon. Right. And then all of a sudden, because a street is closed, like you can't breathe. Yeah. And how, and how just this normal thing in, in, And if you had just slowed down to say like, okay, where's a good place to park where I can get out, you know, but you just kind of parked and then it it was all perfect how it came down. But 
so many of us are like, I think this is why like we freak out when somebody cuts us off in traffic because there's just no room for things not to go as perfectly planned mm-hmm. and on schedule. And so there's no flexibility. There's no fluidity. And the really interesting thing about fluidity and flexibility, it's all held in your sacral chakra, which is all mm. your... your um, generation organs so your reproductive organs yeah so that makes a lot of sense makes right? a lot of sense <laughs> it makes a lot of sense <laughs> and i think that's why then finding more of the functional approach to health and more holistic things like you're talking about really resonated with me because i'm like this is what i need i don't just need doctors putting me on prescription birth control or whatever i need to figure these things out like what my body is trying to tell me and how to fix that organically step by step and it's a harder approach, it's a longer approach, it's the more demanding approach, but it was by far the best thing I've ever done because I fixed everything one thing at a time and I had plenty of setbacks along the way because it's not just like you'd wake up one day and decide to make a change and two months later you're good to go. Like it took me years to get everything sorted out and feeling as good as I do these days on all different levels, like the hormone stuff, you know, it, thankfully I was actually, you know, once I shut things down after that DNF and the Ironman that year, I got my period back like two months later and it wasn't consistent for a while because I still was like not ready to fully give up my athletic endeavors, you know, still doing half Ironmans and stuff the following season, but it was starting to show signs that it was wanting to stick around, which is a great thing. Right. And then Then in 2015, my goal to myself was to train for a marathon, hopefully get a BQ and have consistent periods through the whole training cycle, like no hiccups along the way. And as soon as I saw it, like if I were to see something going wrong, like if I saw a period not come one month on time, I was willing to shut it down or change something drastically, even if it meant sacrificing performance in a race. And I totally succeeded at that. Like, so that race may not have been like my greatest accomplishment as far as like time's concerned. But for me, it was probably one of my greatest athletic accomplishments because I proved to myself that I was able to guide myself with a smart mind and allow my body to still perform. And thankfully, I actually still got a BQ out of it too, which was really cool too. But yeah, that was, that I think to me said, okay, like now I kind of, I understand my body a little bit better. I know how to treat myself where I can still get athletic performance without sacrificing the health component. Um, But, you know, there's still a lot of stuff that accumulates over those years, to put it vaguely. Yeah, there's residue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So gut health was still like a big thing that I had to work on for a while. Like that, that I think was actually probably the hardest thing to like long term. Because also, if I'm still trying to work out and train, we know that 70% of endurance athletes have some sort of like leaky gut issue or some sort of GI issue going on. That's so, crazy. I didn't know it was that big. Yeah, it really is that high. Um, and if you're already prone to it for other reasons like I was, like it's if you're still trying to train and correct it at the same time, it's really hard. Like Sometimes I'll work with an athlete now and she or he has a big Aries coming up and we find all these things wrong and I'm like look, your A-race is in two months. I'd say we wait until after the A-race to start, you know, here's a protocol to at least alleviate stuff. Like we look to FODMAPs or, you know, sports nutrition or whatever it may be to uh, alleviate any issues. And then after the race is over, let's spend your off season, you know, three months or so tackling your gut issues more intensely. So we, you can actually heal during that time rather than, you know, take all the supplements, but still be working out like a crazy person and just 
you know, continuing because the damage. Because who knows if the supplements are even being absorbed. Yeah, that too. Exactly. Especially in the, like a gut situation, right? Yeah. If so. your gut's in... in Distress. If your gut's in yeah. distress and your gut, your gut, you probably know this, but like your your whole GI system is governed by your parasympathetic nervous system, your healing nervous system. Totally. So if we don't have that ability to sit down to activate our healing nervous system, our gut health, and maybe that's why it's so high with athletes because we do have a lot on our plates, but yeah. um, being able to realize that you have to be in, in practice being in, it's a practice, being in that parasympathetic healing ner- nervous system, getting it activated to allow the digestion happen because like when it moves, like the food's moving through the small intestine, it's so mm-hmm. slow and like it's pulling all the nutrients out and, um, and that's not going to work if you're, if you're stressed, if you don't have yeah. enough time, if you're like always, and I think this is where mindful eating can be so beneficial for athletes because like training for Ironman, uh, I specifically remember the last couple of like every meal I'm eating in the car on the go. Yeah. But you can still eat a meal in the car and be mindful. Mm -hmm. How do you do it? So I would say the first thing I would do is I would get in. So even if it's like a bowl of oatmeal, which is probably not the safest thing to do, but I love oatmeal (laughs) and like, I'd be going to no, and I'm driving. Oh, and, oh, and you're driving. And I'm driving. Yes. <laughs> I'm driving. I've got oatmeal. I probably have a cup of coffee and I'm going to a yoga class. So the, la- the the biggest priority is like not showing up to the yoga class like stress, which is hard for me anyway to get stressed at all at this point in my life. But so I found ways. Number one thing is like, okay, I'm, I'm driving and I'm eating. So no other distractions. Phones off, mm-hmm. radios off, no sound. And making sure, you know, I would leave making sure that I, I would have enough time. So now I'm not like stressed about getting there. And if I didn't leave on time and it was a shorter time frame to get, not drive like a crazy person and understand mm-hmm. that if it's late, then, then that's the choice I made by, cause everything's a choice that I didn't, I didn't leave early enough so that I get to welcome that choice in every moment, mm-hmm. right? And just, and, and so as you're eating, you take one bite and put the bowl down safely and chew it. Feel your hands on the wheel. No other distractions yeah. that, that you can, that, that you can control. Those are all off. Chew your food, swallow it, like feel it. Like I'll track it all the way down and see how far I can feel it go in my body. And then I wait and then I'll have another bite. And there, I've had thoughts of like, I'm never going to get all this in by the time I have to get where I'm going. And it's like, <laughs> but I'll get enough in and yeah. I can always finish it later. But chances, most of the time I would finish it by the time, or I would get there and I would get the last couple of bites in, in the parking lot. So, you know, mindfulness is just paying attention on purpose. Yeah. So it's ideal to be, the most ideal thing is to sit at the table and think about the journey of the food and how it got into the bowl and all this stuff. But let's be real. Not everybody has a chance to do this with every single meal. I think it's a great practice like once a week, but most of us are eating a bagel or something in the car as we're driving somewhere. And so how do you make that mindful? You you feel the bite. You feel the moment that your teeth like enter the food and, and bite through it and you feel your jaw moving and you feel the, the chewing and then you track the food as it enters into your body. Yeah. You're feeling your hands on the wheel. You're feeling your feet in the shoe and you're, and you're looking and you're watching the traffic around you. So you're, you're, there's a lot going on in the moment, but there's a lot going on in every moment. Yeah. But you can be as mindful as, as ever, it's not like you're, you've got the ability to be fully mindful 
in any situation. Totally. I love that. I like that. Because I do have a lot of my clients um, that have more of the eating issues. I basically have them set up a date with themselves, essentially, where it's just them and their meal and they you know, have candles, dim lit lights and all that. Beautiful. I love it. It's seriously, though, like it's it's one of those things reconnecting with food and not sitting down and fearing what's in front of you, but like loving it and learning how to just sit there mindfully, appreciate it, no distractions allowed. And all that kind of stuff. And, and mindful eating, I mean, it's been, it's, they've got some statistics about like a person who eats mindfully is like weighs like 17 pounds less than, mm-hmm. you know, like the average person or something. And that it, it actually prevents overeating because if I'm tracking really the does. food going into my body and waiting and like being like, okay, it's landed. And then I take another bite and I'm chewing it. Not only am I chewing it to a point where the digestion is, is really is efficient in my mouth, which is where digestion begins. Yeah. But it's smaller. I'm not like, I mean, there's been days I remember way back when like shoving down food and having this like massive like bolus of food and you're just like, I might die. <laughs> I might die because I didn't chew that at all. I just put it in my mouth and swallowed it. Zero benefit. I used, I mean, I because when I was going to grad school, that's totally how it would be because I would train and do homework and whatever work I had to do in the morning um, this was actually after I left my job. So I was then going to school full time and starting my coaching, but I'd have afternoon classes. So I just remember jumping in the car by two. So I wouldn't hit traffic on the five eating still like, like trying to cool down after whatever workout I did. My hamstrings would always be so jacked up from going from like running to sitting. (laughs) And I'm just like, ah, like, where's my homework? I need to study for the test. Where's the food? You know, I did that for so many years before, you know, again, like you find like, some people are able to recognize it before things get, you know, too you're too deep into it and things start to get ugly. But you know, I think some of us, it I think has most to get of us, ugly before you start realizing I don't want to live like and this. And I think some anymore. people are going to listen to that and be like, "Oh God, that's me," and yeah. you know, and maybe they'll need to go deeper before before they wake up. But let's let's stay on this um this theme of food because that was a big thing for you and. And as you know, we're vegan, which you're a, you champion us. I love it. I heard you give us a shout out on a podcast recently. Um, I'm gonna take him out. Yeah, that's fine. Finley's going outside. Our our listeners are so used to having Clark. Oh yeah, good. Yeah, although Clark's not even getting bored yeah, with the Clark's, podcast. Yeah. He's like doesn't really want to be a part of it anymore. Although so. he did take his bed apart the other day. <laughs> yeah, he was like humping his bed on our bed during the podcast like, we did the other day. It's entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. you do video podcasts too, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, so we eat we eat differently. You you definitely you eat. I would say you're you're very plant-based though you get a lot of vegetables yeah and so when we think about plant-based we think about you know the foundation of your of your plate is plants but but you've had quite a journey getting here and you've always been so transparent about like okay now I'm really high fat and I'm low carb and now I'm eating like you know like a lot of meat and just like from my view of what you've been through and so and what I'm getting at is that you continually and the same thing with BJ and I question you don't settle into like this is how I eat and this is how I'm always going to eat you're always looking to what's in your best benefit to where you are in that moment in that phase of your life so going from an eating disorder where you didn't allow yourself that choice like you had you forced yourself to eat or not eat whatever things you deemed safe to then I think that's actually what set me up for success in a lot of ways because I have a very deep history with my relationship with food 
And finally, when you get to that point where you want to eat for health and performance and all those kinds of things, you start thinking about it more like in a mindful, in a different kind of mindful way where you're like, what's working for me? What's not? I'll give you a perfect example. Okay. So I'm going to be 29 weeks pregnant at the end of this week. And I've never eaten more carbs and sweets in my life that I can remember. Like, (laughs) because right now my body is doing something it's never done before And there is no way in hell that I'm going to deny what it is asking for. And yeah, okay, so it's been a little bit harder to eat vegetables because they're just not as delicious as they normally are to me. But I'm, so I'm, I can't say I'm forcing it, but I'm having to go out of my way to be like, all right, let's sit down and have all the spinach and broccoli today. But I'm still going to have a little bit of that, you know, um, vegan pumpkin pie that I love on the side too. Whereas normally, like, I think I'd still kind of like try to monitor like the sweets and all that. And now is a time in my life where it's like, this is about baby, you know? So let's put in good quality nutrition. And if she wants more carbs right now, bring on the carbs, right? And so I think sometimes you have to just like take a back seat and listen to your body, what it's asking for you. And so what I really try to advocate to people is don't let yourself fall into a diet, no matter what, because diet just is, as Phil Mafton always said, you know, that D word and nothing really good comes from following a diet. You have to find what works for you. And if you're thriving off vegan, if you're thriving off paleo, if you're thriving off a combination, whatever it is, if you're thriving off gluten-free, if you're thriving off dairy-free or not, then go with that and be a scientist about it and find like what markers can you, what variables can you look at to see like if it's working for you so you're not letting your mind get in the way. Like don't let, again, because I've learned this from, you know, eating disorder stuff. It's like you, if you let your mind get in the way, like you're not going to be treating yourself your best. You have to be objective about it and look at what's in your best interest and find what works for you. And then even with the diet thing too, like I've been having more conversations about like looking at what we eat now from an ancestral standpoint or nutrigenomics and looking at the genetic component to food or are we meant to eat a certain diet. And it's interesting because there's a lot of anecdotal evidence to show associations where some people might do better with, um, you know, a vegan diet versus a low carb diet versus whatever diet. And in fact, I've even had those reports run on myself and the reports say, Hey, you actually probably do better, higher fat, lower carb. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Cause that's kind of how I tend to feel my best, like on a regular basis. But unfortunately there's not conclusive data to show that that's necessarily, you know, causation. So there's correlations, but not necessarily, we can't look to our genetics per se to say that there is a strong causation that you are guaranteed to do better vegan than I would or vice versa. Um, but we're starting to kind of like explore that more in that world, which is interesting. I'm not an expert in the area whatsoever, but I just geek out on asking questions to yeah, my I expert mean, friends in that area. I think it's hard to say that we're, we're set up to eat one particular type of way because we're constantly evolving and we're constantly changing. Our cellular yeah. makeup is constantly changing in our bodies. And so I think that we are our best guide. Totally. But we have to be awake. Like we have to be awake and not in denial that that thing that we love to eat so much, like the cheese, like I used to hammer through like Cracker Barrel, like just bottom, like ghetto, like cheddar, <laughs> the, like the sharper, the better. 
And it didn't make me feel good, but yeah. I didn't know that I didn't know it until I started to question it. And yeah. I didn't, I, and that was the last piece for me. I was pretty much like a natural born vegetarian. I just felt better when I didn't yeah. eat meat. And then there was times in my life where I would wake up and I'd be like, I need a flank steak. Like I need a flank steak. And BJ would be like, all right, we're going to get flank steak. And, and so I would just, I would ebb and flow. And I never was like, I'm a vegetarian, I'm a meat eater. I would just be like, I really, I go with what I intuitively feel that I need. But I didn't... And most of the time that ends up being vegan. So I have actually a question for you on that. So if you go to randomly eating a steak, like say once a year, is that kind of what you're saying? Do you do that now? No, I don't. But I did. I used to. Like back in like my 20s. So I'm 45 now. um, And I've been fully vegan since 2011. But my whole life, even as a kid, I would be like on and off me. I'd just be like, I don't Mm -hmm. want it. It doesn't... Like it would smell different. And you might relate to this as somebody pregnant. Like 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 my (laughs) smell would change. And I'd be like... It would be like... Pulse me, and I'd be like, I can't eat chicken. Yeah, and so I've just been very intuitive since I was born that way, and so I always had this about myself. What I would, I remember specifically being on vacation with my parents, like in my twenties, and a vegetarian. And my parent, my mother was like, Well, we're gonna have burgers tonight. You know, what do you want to get? And I was like, I want two burgers with bacon and cheese. And she was like, you're going to be so sick. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be sick. That's what I was wondering. Like and if I was you never, switch back and forth like that. Yeah, I was never sick. But I also have a strong pitta constitution. And back then where I was like super fiery and really like, like, you know, if the road was closed, I probably would have like ripped the barrier into yeah. pieces with, you know, superhuman strength. I was so fiery and pitta, like I had such a strong constitution that nothing upset my gut. Interesting. Ever. And like the cheese thing, so this is what I'm getting back to is like the empowerment of like noticing. I didn't know that cheese made me sick until I stopped eating it. And how did I stop eating it? I just questioned it. Like I ordered a salad one day and I was like, what if I just didn't get the cheese? Yeah. And I ate the salad and I like lived and I survived and I was fine. But what happened was I did that for... Like, and again, it wasn't an agenda. I just did it for like, it was about 10 days in all of a sudden I was like, I'm not waking up in a sea of phlegm. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not blowing my nose all the time. My skin doesn't itch. And then it like just, my energy was more sustainable. And then eventually like allergies went away and I, and I realized like, wow, that was, that was it. And so for me, um, I mean, I don't, at this point, I just don't even have that like craving or anything for it um but yeah, that's what people like, always wonder too that you know like if you give up a food like dairy or gluten for and you find the benefits of it people are like how do you live without i'm like it's really not that hard if you no, feel so freaking but I good did, about it i went it. through probably like i don't know maybe like a year of like being at a party and there'd be cheese and i was like i'll try a piece and i was like nah. like i just started losing my taste for it yeah but for me, because I want to always be reaching higher levels of health, that that is far my priority over like indulging in something that's going to be a temporary yeah. satisfaction that I was so all into like, holy crap, I, I thought I was super healthy and felt good. I can't believe I hit this level. And so... I think you use Inside Tracker, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So I love those give, guys. Give these guys a little plug. And like the first, after the first year of going vegan, we had our blood work done. And it was like, it was good, but it, like, yeah, we weren't doing it. So we weren't doing it as yeah, well. As well as you yeah. could. Yeah. And we just had it done again in the spring. And I had like my inner age. Oh, and, cool. Uh, yeah. So my inner age is 31. Nice. Right. Something like that. What was yours, and, BJ? Uh, it wasn't so hot. <laughs> it wasn't so, it wasn't as good. <laughs> what was I'm it? 44. I think it was 48. Yeah. What? I wonder if it was like just the inflammation from racing. Um, maybe that's, what that? I'm yeah. that's what I'm thinking. I also had, uh, issues with iron. 
so it's absorption of iron is one of the things that has okay. been affecting me. And so that's why I've kind of like stopped caffeine because I was like all on caffeine because I, yeah. I was reading caffeine can kind of block yeah. the absorption. But I think it's the stress level of, because I, obviously I feel pretty fit and I feel pretty good. And you look great. But to go yeah. up, it, but it's an eye opener, right? And so it's, it's constant discovery. Like you think you're okay. Yeah. You think you're good, but you see that number and you're like, well, I need to do better. There's things I need to do that aren't in balance in my body yeah so pay attention absolutely and, and we, that's why i think we get those tests it's 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 so good like and so we were great and i was pretty much optimal in everything but it just goes to like we eat the same things mm-hmm. and my iron's perfect in your iron like it just goes to show that we're so yeah. different you can't say like this is going to work for you and absolutely this is just, just eat spinach and you'll have high iron it's not, not that, true it's yeah because nobody eats more spinach than this dude like yeah. you eat more spinach than i yeah. do but of course there's iron in so many different things in spinach I'm all about the spinach right now because it's also a really high source of folate. I'm all about mm-hmm. my folate. <laughs> uh, I know John and I are the same way because I cook for us here and you know I grocery shop, so we're pretty much eating the same things. And yet our blood tests are always very different. Yeah. You know, so it's just you got to individualize more. I think there are a few, I guess, like quote unquote rules that I try to at least be most aware of, no matter what diet you're on, and that's you know watching out for vegetable oils that aren't going to be, you know, the like sunflower oil, safflower oil. So, you know, or, um, corn oil, like all the oils that are going to definitely cause more inflammation and prop from a health standpoint, which is, you know, thankfully this is getting more momentum in the world in general, actually, not even just in our little niche of just, you know, books like, um, the big fat surprise, you know, coming or increasing awareness that, Hey, you guys, like we were told for a long time to keep it low fat and, you know, eat snack well cookies and stuff oh like that. Oh my god, I used to hammer those. I love that. The green Remember? label. Yeah, exactly. Um, and maybe that wasn't the best advice <laughs> after that. all. So, you know, watch and being really cognizant of like what oils you're cooking with or, you know, I allow flexibility too. When you go out to a restaurant, you're not going to live your life in a bubble, right? You're going to go out and eat somewhere and I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure they're going to be using an oil that you probably wouldn't use at home. But if you're sticking to more of that 80-20 approach and you are also looking out for your health the way that we all do, you're going to be fine, right? And, and I think the mindfulness with the oil, because we use oil, like, I mean, please, like, is there anything better than like a really, really good bread with like some really, really good olive oil and a little bit of pepper? Oh my God. But so when you're like, in, enjoy that, right? Unless you're, you know, in, unless that is just absolutely restricted in your diet and you should not because of your health, but... Um, but just like, you know, are you glug, 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 glug with the oil over the pan before you, yeah, Yeah. because I don't think people realize like in a, I think it's like in a tablespoon of olive oil there, depending on what type of olive they use, there can be up to like 40 olives. Oh really? In, in like a tablespoon of olive oil. When would you sit down? And have 40 olives. I may be wrong <laughs> on that tablespoon. I'm going to make sure I'm right on that. And I'll put yeah. it in the show notes. But it is because because it's hard to believe that it would be that much. But again, when would you ever sit down and have 40 olives? Not to like scare people too. But unfortunately, we live in a world where people just want to sell product and for cheap or like have cheap costs and sell it for high rates. And you have to watch out for what kind of olive oil you're buying because mm. not all of it's pure olive oil. I think UC Davis has a really good resource on which olive oils are going to be the cleanest and purest. Um, I use actually one that's still relatively cheap is California Olive Ranch. Oh, yeah, that's what we use. Yeah, that one always tests really well. And it's, believe it or not, one of the cheaper, <laughs> the dog is like one of the cheaper the ones still. Um, <laughs> and then I have a couple other, like I get some like garlic infused ones and all that kind of stuff. 
But yeah, like I think if you're at home and also watching out for, you know, too high sugar, refined carb kind of stuff as well. Because again, that's where I think it got backwards, you know, between the 70s and the 90s where you know, this low fat, higher carb, but like not quality carb um, kind of approach took over. And it was just a lot of marketing crap, right? Oh my God. I was... And we all fell into it. Oh, fat-free. Like yeah. fat-free mayonnaise, fat-free... I can't believe it's not butter. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's like, like I can't believe stuff. it's what it is. Exactly. <laughs> so if I were to tell, like guide anybody when it comes to, you know, looking at their diet, those are the things universally I'd say these are what you need to be aware of. Now, how much, you know, meat versus vegetables, whatever, like I still think you need to be plant-based for the most part, but the rest of the stuff, like... Very like figure out what works for you, you know. Notice how you feel after yeah. you eat it in the hours after you eat it the next day after you eat it. The quality of like the elimination, you know, is it painful? Is it you know, is it easy? Is it regular? Is it, I mean, all of those things count. I mean, I think there's a lot that we can learn from yeah, what comes out of yeah. our bodies. It's checking in with yourself at all times. Like, we're talking to somebody at a race, and by the time I get to the race, like, I'm actually at the race in transition, I'm all set going to the bathroom, like, I'm all done. When I know I talk to these other people and they're like, they have to go to a line like two or three times. And it's like, well, what did you have? And they're like, well, I had my steak and Well, and the nervousness and, too. And the nervousness. And all I was going to say, just... you also have a stronger mind in that sense too then, because <laughs> I think the, the, the pre-race, you know, multiple porta potty stops is also a mindset, like yes. nerves thing. Yeah. Not just yeah, the food, I but agree. it is I agree. Yeah. I remember I, like, I've been coaching this guy. He was my first vegan athlete. We started, I think it was almost four years ago together. And he was on the total junk food vegan diet when we first started working together. Um, and I didn't tell him to stop being vegan, although I did ask him to like experiment with, he had a friend who had chickens. I'm like, why don't you try the eggs and, you know, some yogurt? He did. And he was like, eh, it didn't really. And so we, you know, left it. Right. But he was eating, you know, the frozen vegan meals and stuff that you look at the label and you're like, good God, this Sweet is even ones. worse. Yeah. Highly processed food. Yeah. Yes. So we, yeah. you know, slowly transitioned to him on like what I like to kind of consider more of like a paleo vegan where it's not like low carb, but it's, you know, clean whole foods, mm -hmm. cold like source foods and all that kind of stuff. He's not only turned into a great chef since, but this guy is performing, like he just qualified for Boston in his 40s as well. And he's a triathlete and he's a top age group comp or top competitor in a state for weight Olympic weightlifting on top of it. Oh, that's he's awesome. He's a vegan guy who's like endurance athlete and strength athlete and like killing it in life. And I love to use him as an example because I think sometimes people still think I'm like anti-vegan when I'm totally not. I'm about working with the person mm -hmm. to find out what works best for them. I do, I will say, I do find, and I've seen this also on the side, going back to like females with amenorrhea, I have seen more often than not, like women adding meat back into their diet has helped them regain hormonal balance and just allowing themselves that variety. But I also think that might be because it was a restrictive mentality that was causing them stress. And as soon as they kind of ease the reins a little bit on that and allow more food freedom, that it's not necessarily that the steak did it. It's that they felt more relaxed saying like none of this stuff is off limits anymore. And that has that, you know, downstream effect on helping hormonal balance recover. That's a really interesting way to, to look at it because I don't think we ever will know. I think the best thing you can do is be mindful about the way you feel. And again, mindfulness is not something that you need all this crazy formal training in. It's paying attention on purpose. That's yeah. all you have to do. You just pay attention on purpose. And then the other thing is the blood work. 
And yeah. Inside Tracker is such a um, such an awesome. I love the way they deliver the results. Like for any kind of learner, they can un- they can understand it, and then they'll give you suggestions, and they'll tell you why it's important to have you know magnesium. And, and I even get email like notifications when my clients get their new Inside Tracker. Like it, like without them even having to tell me, I just get an email with it. If they like put me down as their like coach or whatever, which oh, is that's awesome. so cool! I love it. I just got blood work today, so you know, nice. I'm just making sure things are yeah. like mm-hmm. looking good with my little baby girl on me. I know, yeah. So she's a baby girl. Yeah, she is. It's so amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you know, like as the story goes, I got my shit together, you know, and I was still able to train and race and do all the things and love it. And I just, you know, the mind shifts and the transformations that I've gone through along the way, like, eventually led me to achieving now what I think is like the coolest goal ever is, you know, getting to make a baby and. I'm really approaching this time being pregnant. I'm almost, I'm 29 weeks, as I said. So I've been pregnant for quite a while at this point. Like I haven't pushed my body and you know, I'm, I'm staying active in the way that you would want to stay active for health benefits, I'm not trying to train through my pregnancy or gain the least amount of weight possible or, you know, there's none of that in my head anymore. It's all genuine and, um, about making sure that this baby comes out healthy and well and, eating well for her and eating a variety of healthy things and getting moving and all that kind of stuff. And it's not, it's funny because like it makes so much sense to me, like having a menorrhea, what is a reason like what your body's just saying, like you're not a great environment to make a baby. And I think about the athlete I was back then and I was a great athlete and everything. Um, but I would have not been good at being pregnant because it's like, I was too selfish. I wanted to just push my body really hard all the time and all that kind of stuff. And now I'm perfectly okay with just like relaxing, you know, spending my time doing deep breathing. I'm going to be doing an unmedicated natural birth. So right now, you know, with John by my side, like we're working on basically training for that through a lot of relaxation and all Beautiful. That kind of fun yeah, because that cervix is just a sphincter, girl. You got to be super relaxed for that thing to open. I know, dude. And we're taking <laughs> we're taking is. Bradley classes right now. And in our little notebook, um, our little book that they give to us, you see how big the cervix actually gets. I'm like, really? Oh my god! What? What did I get myself into? Wait, what? <laughs> So, like, um, yeah, but it's all good. I it's, mean, it's all, it's exactly, <laughs> like, your body knows exactly what to do. Yeah. And so it's just trusting with with unwavering faith because thoughts are things and and um, and words are things and everything is like a yeah. precursor to whatever it is that you're creating. So you just keep practicing that beautiful breath and this connection with you and John and, and the baby and that in visualizing, you know, like visualizing the, her coming into the world. I'm sure you're already doing that in, totally. that, in that moment. But also you like, we can't get attached to it. It's like the finish line. Like we want to visualize the finish line and everything, but it's like that attachment that's where it gets really sticky yeah um and not having that ability to be flexible I can attest that like just watching your journey from afar and reading it and and thank you for being so transparent about it because I know and you know that you've really inspired a lot of people to take charge of their health I think men and women alike um that you look absolutely gorgeous oh thanks yeah and healthy and and happy and I can feel in this house the energy is is high. Yeah. It's good. High as in high vibe, not high as in like high stress. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's some of that vibes. sometimes too, right? Like it comes with the territory. It's life. But yeah. 
No, it's good. It's so, um, how do people get a hold of you? Follow you? Yeah, I'm really easy to get a hold of compared to my <laughs> co-host on Endurance Planet Lucha, where he like prides himself. I'm like, if you can get a hold of me, then you win. Yeah. <laughs> where I'm like, you can find me in about two seconds with a simple. He has Google a cell search. phone, but he doesn't have like service. He, yeah, he well, use it he got for a calculator. He just got an iPhone, though, didn't he? Oh, he yeah, he did get an iPhone. Yeah. He's a mountain man. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. I think our next thing, actually, after we do the van life, is moving to more mountainous land, too. Mm. If, yeah, we'll see. But anyways, um, I'm at coachtawny.com, and that's T-A-W-N-E-E. That's my main website for coaching. Also, you can hear me weekly at enduranceplanet.com, and that podcast is available on all the apps, iTunes, all that kind of stuff for free, of course. Uh, lots of archives on there too. Um, social media. I'm now by my married name, Tawny Gibson. So that's Twitter, all that kind of stuff. And my blog, triton.com. Uh, that's what I've been writing on. If you want to dig back into the archives and read old race reports from the days I was talking about up until now, you can definitely see more in depth that journey and how I've changed a lot. I think that's it. Yeah, it's no big deal, right? Just that's <laughs> just a little thing. Places. <laughs> that's plenty. <laughs> all right. Uh, any final question, Beach? I think we can get talk, keep talking about uh, if I brought up the topic math, but we're not going to talk about that because you can just go to Endurance Planet and <laughs> type in MAF and Phil Maffetone and yeah. Lee Joe and, and the podcast and really catch up on this stuff because it's really it stuff really works. I think you trained your marathon. Yeah. With, with Phil on that. Yeah, that marathon I was talking about mm-hmm. where I wanted to make sure to keep my hormones and all that in check. Mm-hmm. I did, I'd say it was about 90% math training. Mm-hmm. And I did allow like some fast finishes on runs and stuff. Yep. I was working, Phil Maftone was helping me, guiding me a little bit through that too. Like, and he, he's been inspiring. Um, I think this is, you know, a cool thing for athletes to hear too, where he's the kind of coach where he will never write you a workout. Like his whole thing is like, he wants you to learn how to figure it out yourself and do it the right way yourself, which is really hard, you know, because I, I don't, as a coach, I don't even do that for most of my athletes because for other reasons, I don't know, we don't we can go on that, but I do respect that approach. Cause he, you know, when you do have a talk with him, he'll drill in the concepts and say, okay, now go do it. And it's on you to follow through. Right. So that was really cool working. I, I'm such a huge fan of his approach. Is it for everybody though? Not necessarily. Mm. And we talk about that a ton on Endurance Plan. I think that's probably the number one question we get on the show is like, <laughs> is math right for me? <laughs> and you know, in most cases it actually is, but people, you know, it's you, hard to it's it's, a struggle to detach from that yeah. watch and hitting your eight minute mile that you're supposed to be yeah. hitting and you're only hitting nine thirties. Like, but there's a purpose behind it. Totally. So you need to, so I think I love what he does. I love what Lucho does. Um, Lucho has his twist on math. Exactly. I think we all do as coaches who have this foundation. It's just an important baseline to to really bring you into taking ownership of your health and of your fitness. Yeah. Phil and I, I don't know if it'll be out when this shows out. Um, we recorded a podcast recently just kind of reminding people like math is actually not just about the training component either. And we went through like the eight steps that make up like the whole entire holistic math method. And it's majority health concepts, you know, diet concepts and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. So, well, we'll share it when it comes out because I think I'm going to actually, I think I'm going to launch you pretty soon. So. Yeah. Um, all right. I think that's it. We're going to cool. go get some lunch. Yeah. All, four, all four of us. Is John coming too? I think so. Yeah. All five of us. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Oh, yeah, the baby Little girl's like, coming too. <laughs> yeah. She's coming too. Philly's not coming. <laughs>
All right, you guys, that's episode 79 for you. Thank you, Tani, for co-creating this show with us. And thank you, YT community, for tuning in, sharing the show, supporting us on Patreon, where for as little as a few bucks a month, you can have a major impact on the life of the show. If you liked today's episode, go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Thank you, everyone who's been showing up in that way. We still have a ways to go with our review numbers, but we believe in you to lend your words when you feel that calling. By the time this show launches, I'll be in New York City attending the Main Street Vegan Academy to earn my certification as a vegan lifestyle coach and educator. This couldn't feel more aligned with my heart's calling right now. BJ is off to race Ironman Arizona, his third 140.6 in 16 weeks, and he is race ready. I don't know how he's doing it, you guys, but I'm watching it every day and it's amazing. No one can believe he's like in taper because he's just so sharp and vibrant and Yeah, it's the training, but it's everything else that he does that makes him that way. And so if you want a taste of that, which you really should want a taste of that, he's going to be offering free yoga to the community, athletes, families, everyone. So actually there's posts already out there on social, but be on the lookout for those. It is the perfect way to get your mental game topped off before the big day. Stay awake and ready so that you can see and feel the messages that your body, mind, and life are sending you. Are you living in alignment with your values? Are you living in alignment with the health of your body and mind? Are you one person on the outside and another on the inside? There is nothing to hide and denial only digs us deeper. Your struggles are not unique and there is another way. There is always another way. And remember that things don't happen to you, they happen for you.